Welcome to the Company of Believers podcast. We hope you will be blessed and encouraged by this message. Jesus bless you. translations. And this is really exciting to me because a lot of the people that that I know personally or people that I, I, I'm, I'm listening to what they're saying from the Lord and, and it usually is lined up with what God is speaking to me. It, I'm really excited because there's just a message going out right now to the family of God around around the world, it seems like. I mean, it's a it's a message of righteousness and a, and a, a revelation of, of what real righteousness is. And and it's something that Father absolutely intends for us to understand. And, and it's it's really one of the biggest hindrances to our growth in in Jesus in the gospel. And and it's something that if we don't allow it to have its work in us, we never mature. And it's not the reason why most people think it is. When you start talking about this type of thing, most people think we've got to learn how to do more. And that's not what you got to do. We've got to learn how to believe more. And then what, what you believe will produce the works that coincide with what you believe. And so I want to start right here. I'm going to read in the New King James, Hebrews 5, verse 13. It says, For Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled, 513. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. I, you can read it in the King James, it's very similar, and it's really not a good translation. Uh, I, I heard this several weeks ago, this particular part of what I'm going to talk about. Daniel Thompson was talking about it, and he, he really opened it up in a way that I had never seen before. And I'm like most of y'all sitting in here, I like to say I'm a Berean. If somebody says something to me that I've held as a truth or just something I thought was a certain way, and all of a sudden you tell me something different, I, I'm not going to stand there and fight with you if you're somebody that I, I trust and I know that you're walking with the Lord, but I'm going to sit down and figure out which, what you're saying and whether I'm going to believe you or not. I'm going to get the word of God out, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to divide the word of God so I can make a decision in faith for myself on what I think God is saying, not what Brother David is saying about what God's saying, or Brother Ben, or my wife, or whoever you want to name. I mean, we need teachers to speak to us, and we need people to bring us revelation but when that happens, there's a responsibility that remains on the hearer to go and find out, is it really that? Right. And you can't put the blame on anybody else if you have any amount of time walking in the Lord if you fall into deception because you're too lazy to go find out what God is saying on the subject. Because if you ask the Lord, he will speak. Yes, sir. And you don't have to be the one preacher to get the word of the Lord. He wants right. all of us to know and yes. be taught by the Holy Ghost, yes. the great teacher. And I believe that. I believe it's my job to hear what God is saying now to the church. You know, what the letters in, in, in Revelation, you know, they said several times, if anyone has an ear, ear to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is now saying to the church, 
The Spirit of God is now speaking to this church today. He has words coming out of his mouth that is for us where we're standing right now. Amen. And our responsibility is to hear. Yes. And so we've got to learn how to bend our ear and believe that there actually is a word that God has for us where we're at right now, whether it's the church family or your, your church family at home, your husband, wife, and kids, or it's just you. I believe God is speaking to me all the time. He has something for me to hear all the time. But that doesn't mean it just falls in my lap. There's a responsibility for me to actually present myself to the Lord in a way that I set aside distractions, I set aside other voices, and I ask him to be the loudest voice in my ears. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about you have to go lock yourself away in a cabin. That, that's how it happens sometimes. But it can be when you're working on a car or when you're building a house, when you're cutting hair. It's about being in a state of, of communion with the Lord yes. where you're just wanting to hear him in every facet of your life. Yes. And so when we do that, man, it's easy for us to begin to distinguish the voice of the Lord. And we have the answer for what is now happening in our lives and in the situations around us. And so, okay, when I was reading this the other day, <coughs> after I heard Brother David talk about it, I sat down and began to just take this thing apart for myself. And pretty much everything I'm saying, he said that I went and got my own Bible, and I got my own study stuff out, and I spent time looking at it and praying to see if it was so, and it was, and it is. But he really, he criticized the translation of this particular verse, saying, you know, basically saying it could be better. And, and when it says partakes, that word in Greek really means to eat or drink. I mean, that's pretty clear. I don't think anybody's not understanding what that is trying to say right there. But it's the next word, when he gets to the word unskilled, when he says for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled, that, that word right there is not a good translation. And the reason being is that that word unskilled is made up of two words in the Greek. The first word that's at the beginning of the word when it's combined is alpha. And there's only, alpha is only found four times in the Bible, Revelation, alpha and omega. And that's easy. But something pretty interesting happens when you combine alpha with another word and it sits at the beginning of the word, it takes on a negative connotation. And that second word right here is is in the unskilled is apiros, and it's it's a that's the, the the unskilled word. But the second part of apiros is made up of pira, and that wants it says right here from the base of four hundred eight, and that's the Greek translation number through the idea of piercing, through the idea of piercing, and when the two words are combined, they actually translate as the not yet pierced. So when you read in the Passion Translation, it nails it pretty good because in the Passion Translation, it actually says, for every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. And that, it's saying the same thing, but it really puts it in a whole different context to make us understand uh, what actually is being said here. Because if you're unskillful, that means you, you have... You have the ability to do something and improve in what you're doing. Like, you know, if you have a job cutting hair, I mean, you're skilled now. 
You're skillful in what you do because you've practiced and you've worked at it and you've messed up people's hair and you've learned not to do it that way. And now you, you do great because you're skilled. And if you're unskillful in something, that means you lack, you lack time doing it. And that is a really bad uh, way to take that verse because that actually means you've got to do better at being righteous. You're not righteous yet because <coughs> you actually haven't worked hard enough at it. You haven't learned how to cross enough stuff off of the checklist. And so the reason why you stay obeyed is because you haven't got skilled enough yet. And you haven't done enough attempts to get it right. And so that puts it in a whole different effort or a whole different thing called human effort. But when you look at this right here and he says that, that they have not yet been pierced by the revelation of righteousness, that's a whole different thing that's happening right there. And, and I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about this for the next few weeks. But I'm going to start tonight. And I, I want to lay groundwork so y'all don't think I'm coming out of some weird place. We're going to look at the Bible. And then if you don't think them verses add up with what I'm saying, we can talk about that. But I'm just going to choke you with the word of God. Because this is right. God doesn't need us to be better. God needs us to be pierced with the revelation of righteousness. Paul, when he's talking in, in uh, Galatians chapter 4, <coughs> he's writing a letter to a bunch of slaves. And I, I even talked about this verse in the same way uh, when I was here months back doing all of those teachings in a row. You know, I talked about this. But Brother David's really been hitting on it in, co in combination with this verse in, in Hebrews. But what does Paul say? He says in, in chapter 4, verse 1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. So Paul, he, he's dealing with the same thing. You know, I don't know if he was the author of Hebrews or not, but these are really similar statements that are made in both places. And Paul is actually saying, look, you can be in the kingdom of God and be born again and still be a babe drinking milk and you're treated as if you're a slave. You walk in as much authority and access to the promises of God as somebody who's a slave because you've yet to reach the appointed time by the Father. And he's not talking about how long you've been born again or how many church services you've been to. He's talking about reaching a degree of maturity where the Father can actually entrust to you everything that he's always intended for you to have. And, and one of the biggest problems that we have in the church, no matter where you go in the world, is that people stay in a state of immaturity where they're, they're dependent all the time on milk. And they never get past the stage of, of needing someone else to feed them and grow into a place where they actually can begin to receive the deeper things of God that he wants us to know. The mysteries of God. In that chapter, in, in Hebrews, when he's talking with them, you go back a few verses, and he's like, I want to talk to y'all about Melchizedek. There's some things I want to tell y'all that I can't even begin to tell you because y'all still trying to figure out how to quit being 
slaves to dead works. I got to come back and teach you every week how to repent on not doing things you shouldn't be doing no more. So that's where he goes in chapter six. And he's telling them, I'm going to give you so much more, but I can't because you won't mature. And he, and he wasn't telling them, I need you to go do better. He was telling them, I need you to be pierced by the revelation of righteousness. Today, when I was studying this, and, and just because I've been on it for weeks, and every time I open my Bible, it doesn't matter where I read, this is all I see now. And it's not because I'm trying to find a bunch of stuff to fit a narrative that I got. It is really a truth I feel like God wants us to grasp and understand so we actually can be received as adults in the kingdom of God and be recognized as mature sons and daughters so we can actually become who he intends us to be and walk in the authority that he wants us to have. When I, when I was reading this, I went to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, y'all. We'll just start there. And it's about Abraham. And I've talked a lot about Abraham in the last couple of years just because I just am amazed at the father of faith. I have a dry cough and it's a hangover from the whole kidney thing. I don't know why, but I do. I haven't been sick since that, so. Rachel gets on to me. <laughs> In Genesis 15, 6, let's think this is New King James. This is what it says. It says that, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. So what, what gave Abraham or Abram in that particular moment righteousness? He believed. And one of the problems that we have, especially if you've been in church your whole life, like some of y'all have been, we get so inundated with rhetoric, it just, it almost loses its feeling, and we can't grasp really what God is saying to us, because it's just common language to us, and it becomes cliches that we throw out in jokes, and, and I'm not rebuking, it just, it just, you know, that's just human instinct, that's what happens, and you actually lose the flavor of what God is saying. Because we're just so familiar with the words and stuff. And, and so when I was looking at this today, I just started breaking it down. And he believed in the Lord and accounted it to him for righteousness. You look up that word in Hebrew, believe, and it's aman, and it's a primitive root. It means to properly, to properly to build up or support, to foster as a parent or nurse. It says figuratively to render or be firm or faithful, to trust, or believe, to be permanent or quiet. So that word Amon believed right there, it, it, it's used like 124 times in the Bible. And it it uh, it has, a, that's the counting, that's not 120 times. This is used quite a lot, but it is used in a lot of different contexts. And, and the word that stuck out when I was reading, excuse me, this definition, was to render. And I, I just Googled it, and it came up the Oxford Learner's Dictionary on my phone. And the definition it gave for render is to call somebody or something to be in a particular state or condition. To call somebody or something to be in a particular state or condition. Okay? 
So that's one of the definitions or, or understandings that comes along with the word believed. And that matters because I think that's probably the most accurate thing that could be attached to that word believed right there to give it the real the real oomph of what God's trying to say in that verse. You go down to, to counted, accounted, and that word is uh, kashat, a primitive root, and it means properly to plate, like to plate hair. That's right, isn't it? How you say it? Plate. To plate hair or interpenetrate, that is literally to weave or generally to fabricate. And so I, I'm sitting there standing up and got real excited this morning. I'm telling Rachel about it. She wasn't as excited as about as I was. <laughs> she told me to read while she was doing her own study. That's what she said. Uh, but man, this thing really, I started looking at this, and this really started speaking to me. Because you have this being said right here that he believed, he rendered himself in the Lord, to the Lord. He, he, he believed in such a way that it caused a state of change to come into his life. You know, so we use those words like believe, and, you know, I believe I'm going to do this, you know, and, and it's not wrong, but I'm telling you, we lose the meaning in situations like this of what this is saying. Because he didn't just believe something. He believed to the degree that it changed his very state of existence. It changed the fabric of who he was. And see, that's the kind of believing that is necessary for us to be penetrated and, and to be transformed by the righteousness of God. That's you, Rachel? <laughs> but when you, when you look at that, that second word, it was accounted, it counted to him. That, that's amazing. Because it's just like he got credit for it. You know, I always have heard that verse. I've spoken that verse. I've preached it, quoted it. You know, it was accounted to him as righteous. It's like he got credit for righteousness. And that is not what it means. It's not that it doesn't mean that, but it means a whole lot more. He's saying that he believed in such a way when he, when he, when he, when he, when he rendered to what God had said, it caused such a transformation in him that it was accounted to him as righteousness. It actually means right there that he became intertwined and woven into the very fabric of righteousness of God. Mm. Like they became one. And it, it was such, it was such an amazing transformation that you couldn't see where one ends and the other begins. Mm. It's not just you get credit. No, you actually become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to go more to those verses next week. But I want, to, I want you to see what actually happened to a flesh and bone person like us when he believed what God had to say. God says, I'm going to weave my very righteousness into the fabric of your being because you believe me. You don't just believe in me. You believe me. You believe the words coming out of my mouth. And see, that's, that's what it means. That's what it means right there to be pierced by the revelation of righteousness. Mm. It means it, it's something that happens 
when you believe and you 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 just you yield yourself up to God and the truth that He is speaking over you in your life, it causes your state of being to change. And the righteousness of God is woven into who you are. And that's what happened with him. He didn't just walk around with some credits like my kids play these video games, you know. And yeah, I know there's some adult gamers in here I've heard that are pretty testy. Um, <laughs> I play more with my kids just trying to pass some time with them. You know, that's horrible. I don't know how they play this stuff. You know, I get killed every time I start. And, uh, but, you know, it's like you can drink one of these bottles and it's some kind of healing thing. And, and so you got your life bar and then you get extra, an extra bar over that that you can take that out before they actually start hitting your life bar when you're getting lit up. <laughs> you know, and so when I, when I had thought about that verse before, in my mind, that's almost kind of how I saw it. It's like I'm, I'm getting credit, extra credit for, for just believing in God. And that's just not what it's saying. And our ability to understand that and let this revelation pierce who we are, it transforms us in a way that brings us into maturity. Do you realize that when God came to Abraham right here, he's still Abram. He, he is a chapter 15 where you find this. He's been walking with God for quite a few years now. He's done walk 1,400 miles following a voice of a God that he... You know, just probably encountered one day being more than likely an idol maker. And he picks up and moves with his family 1,400 miles on foot through lands he did not know. This guy was following God. Yeah. But even in the middle of following God, there were still some, some, some things in him that he wasn't walking completely surrendered to what God had to say. He wasn't completely convinced of what Father was telling him to do or the goodness of God towards him, he still walked in, in a state of double-mindedness. So another thing I heard Damon Thompson say a while back, we, when we read that James, over in James, where a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, we're always thinking about well, one day he goes to church, the next day he's in the bar. And that's kind of how we, we see double-mindedness. And he actually says, no, if you're 50% for God, believe in God, and 50% in doubt and unbelief, that's called double-mindedness. Yeah. Yeah. If you 90% believe God and 10% doubt that God's telling the truth, that's double-mindedness. Right. And see, we're supposed to be single-minded in following God and believing every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Right. And see, what happens is most people in the family of God, they walk double-minded their entire life in the kingdom. It's not that they're not born again. It's not that they don't love Jesus. But they are double-minded and they're never fully convinced that everything God's saying is for them. And so they live in a doubt, in a state of, 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 of infancy. Because God's not trying to get you to do the rules. He's trying to get you to believe him. He wants you to believe that his righteousness was actually imputed to you. When you look at that, that, that uh, word um, counted, man, it's, it's pretty amazing because it's 124 times you find it in the Bible. And most of the times you find it, it's, it's written down as a counted. But it's also put in there as he thought. And not just he had a thought. You find it in, in I think it's Genesis 38, when it talks about Judah and Tamar. 
It says Judah looked at this woman covered and he thought she's a prostitute. It's the same word as accounted to righteousness. He thought she was a prostitute. So you know what happened next? There was an action that came after that thought. He right. went into her as a prostitute. Yeah. It's not just that you think a certain way. You think such a way, such, such a way that it produces action. See, Abraham believed God, but he didn't just believe. It was going to produce action in his life. That's right. You, the next time it's used, it's actually dealing with Joseph, and he's telling his brothers, he's in Egypt looking at them. They're all in need, and, and, and he's telling them, you thought to do evil to me. And because you thought to do evil in that capacity, you threw me in a well, and then sold me. So there was a, an action attached to the very thing that he thought. Or they thought. And so it's pretty neat to me. <coughs> the next thing that you look it up, it, it's used in Exodus in the King James as cunning. As cunning. You know, for most of all of us, we hear that, that we don't think anything positive. When it's used in the King James, it's dealing with the artistic work that was happening, happening by all the, the people, the artisti the, that's not, artisans, Artisans, all the workers who were making the things for the temple and all the, eph the ephod and all of the different things, it often refers to their work in Exodus with this same word accounted, but they use it and it says cunning. It was cunningly made. It was, it was the workers were cunning, they were cunning workers. And it talks about how the ephod of different things, the breastplate of judgment, how it, how it was made with so many different jewels and materials. But when it was done, it was made in such a way, it was so interwoven that you couldn't tell that it wasn't all the same material. Even though you could distinguish different colors and different things, it was made so well that you couldn't, you couldn't separate the different fabrics and the different stones because it had just become one together. And see, so this word, that's a big deal to me because it's like, this says so much. And if we understand that what God was trying to tell Abraham and what he was expressing to us through what Abraham did right here, it's, it's the <laughs> transaction, it's the holy transaction that happens when we actually begin to believe God. Well, what did Abraham believe that caused such, such, such a thing to happen? And you go to the beginning of the chapter, in verse 1, I, I just wrote it down, I'll read it to you. It says, he believed in Yahweh and his declaration." of who he was for him. Because in verse 1, he tells Abraham, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Beginning in chapter 15, when God comes to visit Abraham, when Yahweh begins to speak to him, he tells him, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. So he begins to tell Abraham who he is to Abraham for him. He begins to define, this is who I am for you, buddy. Yeah. I'm somebody you can hide behind and be protected and be safe. But I'm also your, your, your exceedingly great reward. I'm everything you will ever need. Yes. I am, I am. And I am meant for you. He wasn't talking to a church. He wasn't talking to a whole Israelite nation. He was talking to one man by himself. That's right. 
And he didn't stop there because he, he goes on to say he also believed, Abraham also believed Yahweh's plans of blessing towards him. Because it says in verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So God defined who he was to Abraham and who he was for him. And then he actually began to define to Abraham my plans of blessing for you. And when he believed those words coming from God, it was counted as righteousness to him. The righteousness of God transformed his being because it was, it was weaved into the very fabric of, fabric of who Abraham was. And Abraham was no longer the same person. He took a step of maturity into the Lord. And the Lord actually gives him a covenant in this chapter. Mm. And he had already been walking with the Lord for 11 years when God came and visited him right there and gives him the covenant 10 years. Wow. 1,400 miles he walked I mean, all of this. And, and it's now that he reaches a place of maturity and says, now I can enter into an intimate, deep, real relationship with you where I can treat you as a mature son. I can have real conversations with you. I can give you real authority. I can trust you to do jobs. I can trust you to obey my voice and not stop to question everything that I've got to say because you've reached a level of maturity where you actually believe me when I say something. Mm. And God said, oh, you know what that is? It goes all the way back to Hebrews 15. Abraham was pierced with the revelation of righteousness. That's why I like that translation, that particular verse right there, because it is accurate of what Father wants us to understand is necessary for us to actually grow and mature and get beyond the infancy stage of being born again. And Abraham actually experienced that. It says right here that <coughs> Abraham believed or rendered himself to the word of the Father in such a way I wrote this down. It caused his very state of being or condition to change. Believing and rendering can be completely different things. That's why James says in chapter 2 that even the demons believe and tremble, but they're not. Their state of being doesn't change. What they believe doesn't change, is not followed with an action. Right. So that believing don't help nobody. And so until we're pierced through with a revelation of righteousness, that we actually hear God's word and we believe that God is speaking to us and we believe in such a way that it causes transformation in us because we actually believe it and we begin to live it. Not, not to the degree that I have to go do something to make this active in my life. I wrote down a verse uh, and it's out of the, the mirror translation, the mirror study Bible. Is that the end of my notes? I'm going to jump ahead. But it says that. Now, really, I read this this morning. I liked it. In Hebrews 10, 36, it's in the footnotes of the Mirror Study Bible. It says, the promise is a gift of faith, not a reward for good behavior. The promise, the promise of righteousness, it's not a gift. It's a gift of faith. It's not a reward for good behavior. Good behavior will follow. Right. Because to get this gift, 
you have to believe. And you can't just believe like you casually believe in something else. You have to believe in, this, in a way that you render yourself to what's being said. You surrender to it. You trust that it's good and it's right. And you're, you're allowing it to have its perfect work in you. Because you trust that this is the word of God and he is good. Even when you don't understand it. And what happens when you do that, that gift is, is imparted to you. And it actually is a reward for believing, not because you did enough things right. right. You know, in that Galatians 4, that, that starts to deal with the whole, the whole conflict of law and promise. In Galatians chapter 4. Because you know, Paul begins to use the example of Esau and uses the example of, of Abraham's son, uh, Isaac, and how you know one was a son of, of the law, one was a son of self-works, and the other one was a son of the promise. And more times than not, we stay in a state of infancy and we produce over and over again things of self-work to, to validate and to hold us up to make us feel like we're right and we're doing what God wanted us to do. And, and, and instead of trusting that believing God's promise is enough and that will actually bring that promise to come to pass when he is ready for that to happen. It says right here, and I'm about done for today. Um, I was reading in 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. And it says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Whoever confesses, that's not saying that whoever says out of their mouth, like repeat this prayer after me. It would be more proper if we had the same word that they used for Abraham when he believed and what that represents right there. Because we think confession, we think somebody just says it out of their mouth and repeat it, and so that's yeah. what it's talking about. He's actually talking about when you have believed in such a way that it has produced a change in your life because God recognizes you truly believe in my son. I'm going to give you my righteousness, and I'm going to make you look like me. I'm going to make you look like my son to the degree that I'm going to abide in you, and you're going to abide in me. Right. I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's an amazing statement right there that we need to under, try to understand. What is that really saying? How is he going to abide in me and I abide in him? It goes whole, all the way back to being interwoven with the righteousness of God. And when we, when we believe in Jesus, that he is the son of God, and we believe in a way that that really Con convince his father that we, we have accepted what he has declared about his son. There's a holy transaction that happens. Mm -hmm. When I got born again and I was in my apartment in, in, in Birmingham and Jesus walked in my room, touched me and spoke to me and I'm on the floor, you know, high and all of those different things. <coughs> all those different things. There was a transaction between me and him that happened on that floor. I have been hearing about Jesus for a few years from my mom and dad. I'd seen 
the witness and the truth of it in their life. But it wasn't a revelation to me. I knew it was real because I could see how much they had changed, but it had not penetrated my heart. And I would have told you, man, this is, this, Jesus is true. And I told people all the time, yeah, Jesus is real because I, I was convinced he was, but that revelation had not perished me. Right. But when I was on that floor and I understood that he had came to save me, that he was there to love me and show me one more time his desire was for me. I don't know how I understood because I didn't know the Bible. And I just knew that what he wanted in that moment was for me to give him everything I used to be so he could give me everything I was supposed to be. And I'm telling you, I couldn't explain that. But I knew in myself that's the transaction he wanted to have with me right there in that moment. Is this is what I want to give you, my love, my peace, the very essence of who I am. I want to live in you, and I want you to feel this the rest of your life. But it requires you believing that this is what I want. And Jesus is the one who's going to make this possible for you. And I say, I didn't know Bible. But on the floor that night, I made that exchange. And what happened is when I got up off that floor, he was in me. And I knew I was in him. I don't know. I didn't know how to express it with the, with the words and the verses of the Bible in, in the way I can now. But what I did know, I'm not God's enemy no more. Me and right. him are good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel clean. I feel like I'm walking with God. Mm. <laughs> because I was. Because he had come to live in me. But I also was in him now. Hidden in Christ. And there was an exchange happening. And I had was, and I had done nothing. I still had not read the Bible. I still had not been to church. I still hadn't handed out a track or preached or, you know, I hadn't done anything. But when I got off that floor, y'all, I knew I had been woven into the very fabric of the righteousness of God. And of course I couldn't have said that like that. But I just knew. I knew where I was at. Something me cried out, Abba Father. Yeah. And I didn't need somebody to come alongside me and told me you're born again, or you need to get baptized, then you'll be saved. They said, if you're saved, you're supposed to get baptized. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'm in. Because <laughs> I'm saved. I love Jesus. Yeah. Right. And my life was ready to start producing something that went in agreement with what I now believed, mm -hmm. that I was his, and he was mine. It didn't give me permission to think, oh, now I'm going to do what I want because, you know, I'm intertwined with the righteousness of God and I'm free to just do what I want because we're all good because this transaction. No, I believed in such a way I didn't want to do that. I right. wanted to act like him, talk yes. like him, look like him, speak like him. Right. And it wasn't because somebody gave me the, the rules. It's yeah. because something in me realized this is who I am now. Yeah. This is who you are. And see, people get afraid and, and there, there's fear when you start getting on these topics because people think you're going to get way out there and everybody's got this new permission to go do what they want. And, and this is that grace message that means you can go do whatever you want. Jesus got it covered. And this ain't that. Come on. When you are pierced through with the revelation of righteousness, you're not looking how you can go sin. You're looking how you can be as close to him as possible. It's a natural overflow of your life. Right. And see, this is how we grow into maturity. This could take 
10 years like it did for Abraham. It could take 20 years. It could take 10 minutes. It's not about how long or an amount of time. It's about when are you going to surrender to what God is saying and believe it in such a way that you just render yourself to it. And see, when you do that, maturity happens. God comes to you and says, you've only been saved for a year. Everybody else in here has been 20 years. They still don't believe me. Mm -hmm. And it's not about struggling with belief. I'm more times than not when I pray, uh, in certain situations, it's like the man in the Bible who came to Jesus. I believe, but God help my unbelief. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that it's this overwhelming confidence where there's never any struggle to walk out, but you do believe. And, and, and it's not that, but it's the point where you recognize, I do believe, but there's still a struggle. God help my unbelief. Right. You know, I was thinking about it this morning. I'm going to stop, but... <coughs> You know, God came to Abraham and he told him, I want you to go circumcise yourself and everybody in your camp. <laughs> and then that message went out to the camp. And all of these men showed up. What circumcision? <laughs> and then that explanation came. Yep. And Abraham is... I'm sure in his own self, I'm, ah, there ain't none of me thinks this ain't so. He's thinking, ah, I don't know how to do this. Because <laughs> 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 you, you think there wasn't some struggle in that? Yes, yeah, come on. And you, you, you don't feel about yourself like I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, seriously, think about that. You think he just right. walked up there and started cutting on everybody no. himself? But there was there was something going on in there. That's right. Could you imagine the people that he circumcised? Why are we doing this? Because the God who you've never seen or heard right. and have never known that existed, he told me we need to do this. Yeah. So I know. <laughs> I mean, you just I think about these things sometimes. Right? Yeah. I sit at my desk all day. It's never about is it just there's never a consideration of thought or struggle to move into obedience. It's recognizing, I know what you're saying is good and right and true. I don't understand it, and this is going to hurt, and I don't see why, but I know your plans for me are good. Yeah. Yes. A blessing. Yes. To God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yes. And we take a step of obedience. Man, this is, this is what God wants us to understand. We've got to grow up in the family of God because there's things he wants us to do and be, and he can't entrust us with it yet. And it's not because we're just screw-ups and we can't get it right. It's because we just are absolutely stubborn and refuse to just believe what he says about us. You know how hard it is? I, I've seen some of your faces tonight and other people when I'm talking about it, it, this is a hard concept for people to get their minds wrapped around, especially people who've grown up in church, because we've been convinced we've got to get everything right before we can level up. And it's never been that. We've got to learn how to believe. Leveling up comes easy when you get yourself convinced that God's good and he's telling you the truth, yes. and we should just do it. Leveling up is what happens naturally. And I, I just... I'm going to take some time this next few weeks. Now, next week, 
it'll be a lot more aggressive. And, but this is where we're coming from. And I wanted y'all to see where this starts. This is God's example given to us. This ain't me trying to come up with something in some weird narrative. This, this is the word of God being laid out for us by the father of faith who had to walk it out. And now it's our turn. And none of us should be discouraged if we think we're just never going to get there. It, 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 sometimes it takes a second. But when we surrender to what God has said, God's standing right there saying, now. Now. Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. Father, teach us how to surrender, to render ourselves to you, to believe in you and your word, Father. Teach us how to believe in such a way it causes a change in our very state of being. That you can look at us and, and realize we do believe. We believe you. We believe you in such a way that we surrender. And we let you have your perfect work in us. God, show us, God, your righteousness woven into the very fabric of who we are so that we know who we are when we stand before you. And we know that you see us as righteous because you gave us your righteousness. It was a gift because we believed, not a reward because we worked. I thank you, Father, and I bless you tonight. Jesus name. Thank you for listening to Company of Believers podcast. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to sow into this ministry, please go to www.companyofbelievers.com and select Give. Thank you for listening.